Amen. Good morning. Merry Christmas. My name is Ray Brandon. I'm the pastor for teaching here at Northbridge. And I am excited about this week. It is uh, it's Christmas week. Um, as Cody said, we are having a Christmas Eve service in Plainwell um, out in the park. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be there and bring my family. I know that for, for many of us um, gathering inside like this, and it is good to see a great crowd here this morning, um, but there's many more that, that cannot gather inside. So I'm, I'm just really excited, especially this year. I want to encourage you. I know that Christmas Eve may have some family things to incorporate that a short service and time together um, this Christmas Eve to come out, be with your church family, with your family, make that a part of um, your evening on, on Christmas Eve and it's certainly an area that we can, we can gather together like that and do that with relative safety. So if you can, I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Thank you, John, uh, for, for pulling that together, and I'm excited for that. I'm also excited because uh, we are looking forward uh, to Christmas, and we are looking forward to a baby. All of us are looking forward to like celebrating baby Jesus in our house we're, we're celebrating baby Jesus, but we're also hoping for grandbaby. So um, we're hoping this week. So will you all pray this week? Maybe a Christmas baby, um, grandbaby for the, the, the Brandons and, and Cole who preached uh, last week. Zeta, his wife, is pregnant. So we're very, very excited as we, we close out this year. Um, this year has revealed some things to all of us about ourselves. It's revealed all kinds of things. Uh, it's revealed things uh, about ourselves, about our family, about our church family, and about our faith. Um, it has been, yes, a difficult year, but it's been a really revealing year to us. I mean, we have seen the, the good, the bad, and the ugly inside of all of us. Um, I, I had um, an opportunity to speak with a, an individual, and um, actually several individuals, and, and, and came up in conversation. They said, oh, I'm just so frustrated. And I said, you know what? On a scale of t 1 to 10, I think I walk around at a 7 or an 8, you know, just with all of the things that are happening. It's really revealing of what is in our heart. I want you to think about this because we're going to open up a book, a new book. It's, it's not going to be a series, and I'll tell you why. Um, but I want you to think about this question. In fact, I, I, I want to give you a moment, and those of you at home, I, in fact, let's even do it here, and we can talk to each other. And if you're watching from home there in your living room or wherever, you can, you can talk about it to the people that, that are around you. If you were to write a book in the Bible, a book specifically about Jesus, and you were to write that book to a Christian, a book about Jesus to a Christian, what's one or two things that you would want to tell that Christian about Jesus? What do you think? What are some things? I mean, just, just think. Actually, let's just a few seconds. Just, you don't have to have a right answer. I just want, I want to engage those wheels in your mind a little bit as we come this morning. 
Tell the person next to you, what's one thing that you would include? I'm just going to give you a second or two. Those of you at home can do, do this as well. What's one or two things that you would want to tell another Christian about Jesus? Go ahead. All right, now take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> this is a Christmas message. Um, it's Christmas because it is dealing with the incarnation and the coming of Jesus. Um, we are going to spend some time this winter and spring in the book of Luke. So I'm going to take the next two weeks, this Sunday and next Sunday, to introduce the book. We're not going to preach through it. We're going to go back in January to working our way through 1 Timothy. But you all in your small groups are going to work through mostly the, the book of Luke, although there's some of John. You'll start with the Christmas story, um, it, which will, will um, pepper scripture. It'll be different places the first week looking at the incarnation of Jesus. And then it's going to pick up with the book of Luke. And you'll be in Matthew a little bit towards the end in, in John as well. But the majority of the next few months, you're going to be in the book of Luke. And so um, we will work through this together as we study together. The uh, Be Still My Soul podcast will we'll cover in devotional format um, every single day your, your devotions as, as well. Um, and we'll continue to provide resources. So you're going to dive into this book. So my goal in this next two weeks is to get you thinking in this direction. And it's really good, given what we have been through. It's, it's so very, very good that we are in this particular book. Now let me read for you uh, the Gospel of Luke, verse 1 uh, through verse 7. Word of God says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me, also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write in an orderly account, to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a high there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. This is the word of the Lord. Here's where we're going today. I know, I know if you're here in the room, there's a little bit of ring in, in, the, in the audio this morning. So they're, I think they're working that out. So we'll just ignore that and focus on God's word. All right, so um, here's, here's where we're going today. We're going to answer three questions this morning. Three questions. Uh, the first question is, is, what did Luke write? What does Luke write? How did he write it? 
And then third, why did he write it? And we're going to look specifically at verses 1 through 4. Um, what did Luke write? How did he write it? And why did he write it? You know, we live in, in the era of um, where we're not sure what's news and what's not really news. Um, let, me, let me just pitch this one for you. So, um, real news or fake news? Bananas are berries. Real or fake? Oh, you think it's fake? Are strawberries berries? Oh, actually, re in reality, strawberries are not berries, but bananas are. You can Google that later. Like, we just live in this world where we're not really sure what is true and what's not true. And so you're probably going to be thinking about that. What? A banana is a berry? Yeah, go ahead and look it up. It is true. A banana is a berry. Um, we, we're just not really certain. And that's what Luke is writing. He's writing to an individual. And his name is Theophilus. Now, I'm not going to give you all the background, everything, because it would be rather academic this morning to go through all the background of the Gospel of Luke. That's something for you to do as you enter into your study. That's why we have the resources there um, in, um, on, on your church app, um, because there will be lots of background to Luke, and it's really important. A lot of it's very, very important to the book itself, because you, Luke is a unique individual. He's a companion of Paul. He's a Gentile. He has a, a medical background, and he's writing to one that we know at least is a God-fearer, probably a Christian, Theophilus. It's a unique gospel, this gospel of Luke, in that it comes in two parts, and the ark does not end at the resurrection and ascension, but the arc of the gospel of Luke ends up at the church and the church going out and continuing the ministry of Jesus in Luke and Acts. So it's this unique individual who's writing. Um, he's, he's writing to a particular individual, um, and he, he writes this gospel because he wants the truth to be known. So what does he write? Look at verse 1. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. He, he's saying there's a, there are quite a few people who have written about this. Who has written about this? Well, Matthew, Mark, and John have written um, the Gospels. Um, they are um, unique stories about Jesus. Um, we have to be careful how we look at um, these particular gospel narratives. Um, we tend to look at them um, through very modern eyes, and those eyes can be, tend to be very wooden in, in their approach, very sterile in their approach, thinking that, well, we've got to have certain things in chronological order if they're a history, um, and we, we look at it that way. But um, at the very same time, um, if you were to go to the newsstand, you know what those are, right? The little guy in the corner, and uh, he, he's in this little box, and out in front is all the newspapers and the magazines, and um, you can go up and physically read the news, but you can first peruse the headlines, and, and there might be a, a big headline of the day, and you can look at the different national newspapers, and even the headlines are different but the story is the same story. Why? Because 
every single writer, every single paper has a different approach. We have the gospel narratives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that approach each approach the narrative in a particular way. You think about the author and of, of these, these gospel narratives, Matthew. Who is Matthew? He is a, he's a Jewish man. But what did he do? He was a tax collector, right? He was, he was a, a tax collector. So he was not a, was, was he on the in of Jewish life? No, he was not. Um, he was on the out. And he is excited to write the gospel because this is the coming promised king. And, and Mark, Mark's the shortest gospel account. And he writes, who, who does he write? He's, he's, he writes to a Gentile audience. He's the one who uses a lot of verbs and there's action and, and movement. And, and there's the, the gospel of John, the beloved disciple. He writes for a particular purpose so that you may believe that Jesus is the promised one, the son of the living God. They each have their own unique take on the story of Jesus. So does Luke. Luke um, writes, he sets out to write really two things in this gospel. Um, It's a narrative. It's a history. It's a record of what took place. Now, Luke didn't see all of this like like Matthew and John and Mark who experienced this um, firsthand, but rather he interviews individuals. Um, so he's, he has a particular bent. He's, he's, he wants to see this history. He's writing to this man named Theophilus. Both Luke and Acts are two Theophilus. And he wants to set an orderly account. What did Luke write? Well, in this narrative, he gives more details than many of the other gospel writers. You know, that's, that would be particular to one who, has, who is a, uh, a doctor, right? You, you go into your doctor, and you, you really do want a doctor that's, that sits you down and, and is going to ask you lots of questions. You say, man, I've got this tummy ache. Well, I think it could be this. I'll just write you a prescription. No, you don't want your doctor to do that. You're, you want them to ask a few things. You want them to examine, maybe do a test. I don't, I don't know, but you want them to be detailed. Luke looks at the particular details. Now, there's lots of reasons there's some theological reasons. There's some practical reasons for that. But Luke records these details. Luke, um, uh, the other Gospels talk a lot about the crowd ministry. Luke records both the crowd ministry, but oftentimes the crowd ministry not in detail, but the individual ministry of Jesus in great detail. So he's a detailed writer, he, he, and, and it's moving towards his purpose that he includes these particular details. Um, he also records how God fulfills the promises in the Old Testament. Right? Luke is writing about this promise fulfillment. He's writing about Christmas, how God stepped down in human history, and that's why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate God coming, the incarnation. There are several, um, well, well, let me, let me um, say this before I move on to several themes that are here. How does, how does Luke write about promise? If you actually look in your Bible, and I included um, the um, Zechariah and his, his wife, uh, Elizabeth, um, there as I read through the scriptures on purpose, 
um, because it sets up where we're going um, next week um, in, in, in the message. Yeah, how, does, how does Luke, when he writes, says, this is the promise fulfilled? Well, there are seven prophecies fulfilled in, in just the first few chapters. You think about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is about a promise fulfilled, right? There's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a promise to you. And you're like, well, you, you better hold to that promise. Now you think about just your experience over the past few months. How many certain things have been uncertain and uncertainties certain? How many promises? How many hopes? How many? What, what Luke is, is writing here, he's saying when God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. And all of those promises are wrapped up. In Jesus, and so um, right at the very beginning, there's this promise. Here's here's a woman who is, is older, doesn't have a child, and, and and there's a prophecy, and it's fulfilled that she has a baby. She has a baby. Um, there is the birth of Jesus. Um, it begins in in verse 26 of chapter one. The 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 angels foretelling the birth of of Jesus and. You, you have um, Mary who visits with Elizabeth. Both are with child. And they exclaim, they cry out, blessed, or she, she exclaims, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came into my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is, this is both a large promise of the Old Testament, but what is Elizabeth saying to Mary? You believe that promise right now, that God is keeping his promises. Um, later in the chapter, Zechariah prophesies. And you go to chapter 2, typically a, um, a, a passage that's read, Luke chapter 2, and there is the angels that tell the shepherds there's a baby born. He's the Messiah. Go into town. Go see him, right? So there's, there, there is that prophecy. Um, there's a prophecy when Jesus is presented in the temple where Zechariah, where his, he um, is mute, he's not able to speak, but the first thing he speaks when his mouth is opened at the end of chapter 2 is a prophecy. It is a promise fulfilled. And then chapter 3, you have John the Baptist, who also, in that chapter, there's a prophecy and fulfillment. What is Luke doing here? He's writing to a, to a Gentile. Certainly, this, is, this, this gospel is read by many people, but he's showing this Gentile individual that has no background of the Old Testament, He's showing, or very little background in the Old Testament, he's showing him that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. So he's writing this narrative. He's writing this narrative of how God keeps his promises, how we can trust, how he stepped into human history, and how God himself works things out by his own hand. But there's also some themes that are connected in the Gospel of Luke we see more of the Holy Spirit in the working of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of Luke than we see in any of the other Gospels. 
Last week, we had an excellent message on prayer. And, and prayer is, in, in the Gospel of Luke, um, a very important theme. Nineteen times prayer is mentioned. The details of prayers are recorded. Um, in 16 times in the book of Acts, prayer is mentioned more than the other Gospels. Luke talks about prayer. And we will, when we get to the purpose of the book of Luke, that's going to be key. So you had a great message about prayer um, Luke's gospel connects it, um, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But So the Holy Spirit, there's prayer. There is God rescuing his people. Right? The angel says in Luke 2, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the King, the promised one. He is the one that is promised. And, and what we see in Luke's gospel is that God's promise ever since Adam and Eve is fulfilled in Jesus. When the world fell in brokenness, when everything was undone, God was in the middle of it, unfolding his plan for salvation. And those that place their faith and trust in God's plan, God's person, God's promise, they are safe. They are safe. No matter the circumstances, conditions, There are no consequences for sin for those that are safe in Jesus. You know, it's not just eternity that Luke has in view. Um, there's a major theme in the book of Luke. It's a, it's, it, there is a connection in the gospel of the kingdom, Matthew's gospel. Luke makes this, king, this, this connection from, from his own writing in that when Jesus comes... Those that think they're in are actually out. And those that are out are welcomed in. Um, it is two things for us when we re realize what Luke is doing. He's showing that those that are outcast and broken and desperate, that Jesus has a word, a promise, an action, a fulfillment that's for them. But those that find their safety in other things, and some that think they're in, 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 religious, in, there's a surprise. Because they are the ones in most jeopardy. Um, Luke, in this way, does something unique here that is carried on through the, the church. It's the elevation of women. Did you know that, um, you know, Cody mentioned the financial support of the church. Did you know that the only people that are mentioned, there probably were others, but the only people that are mentioned in all the Gospels ever having financially supported Jesus' ministry are women? And Luke records their testimony in the same way and uses a woman's testimony in the ancient Near East that was relatively unheard of and it would have been considered untrustworthy, but Luke records it as trustworthy because that's his purpose. And it's not just one or two, but it's the mother of Jesus. It's Joanna. It's many women. Luke not only pictures, but records and records their testimony. It's something to think about when we think about Christianity and culture and what Luke does and what he says. As we look at these themes, what do we see? 
when we see God stepping down from eternity into our story, and it changes everything. This is what Luke is writing about in the gospel. You know, Lewis Carroll has, has written a, a, a favorite story of mine, Alice in Wonderland. She actually wrote the story for three girls. Three girls. They were Henry Liddell's three daughters, uh, Lorena, Alice, and Edith. In fact, um, in the prefatory verse, it's a, it's a poem, the opening poem in Alice in Wonderland. She names them as Prima, Secunda, and Tertia in the story. He, he draws out, or, or um, Lewis Carroll draws out these girls' imagination by doing what? By writing them into the story. You see, that's the gospel of Luke. Right? God draws out our heart by doing two things. Coming into our story. And as Luke records it, we find ourselves and God in the flesh in this beautiful book. God has entered our story. And it changes everything why you're here, what you're doing, what your hope is, and your ultimate purpose. Um, It is uh, amazing. It is supernatural, but it is not fantasy. It is not make-believe. Luke wrote this in order to speak what is true and what we can know, and we can know for certain. So that is what Luke wrote. How did Luke write it? How did he write it? Look at verse 2 and 3 of chapter 1. He tells us how he wrote it. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So how did he write it? Carefully with great detail, based on eyewitness accounts. You know, perhaps as you have been Netflixing and Huluing through this season, um, you've watched um, a little bit of Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes and, and Dr. Watson, they're two different individuals. Um, let me encourage you to watch, watch a little bit of D- uh, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. And they're, they're, they're two unique individuals. They're investigating um, one sees the big picture, right? One oftentimes sees the big picture, the other the details and how they fit together. Um, that's the Dr. Luke that writes this gospel. Um, he wants to, us to see the big picture and records those details, Luke is a doctor. He paid attention to details in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. Paul writes, Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas, send greetings. Now, this doesn't mean that he was wealthy or had status, but he had training in the, in the medical field. Um, we can assume that he goes about investigating the story of Jesus very carefully, the same way that he might operate on a patient or care for a patient, like Sherlock and, and Watson would examine witnesses, so he did. Um, He could have spoken to to many men who knew Jesus. There were 11 
apostles or disciples. Um, they chose someone, Matthias, to replace Judas. There were men that had been with Jesus um, from the very early beginnings of his ministry all the way through the resurrection. And Luke probably spoke with many of these individuals. And Paul, Paul writes in to the Corinthians, and he said that there were more than 500 individuals that saw Jesus after the resurrection. And he's writing only 40 years after that point. So many of these individuals were still alive, and they lived in a culture where very few things were written down. Um, so they thought about stories, they thought about facts, they thought about, and they, they kept them, and they told them, and they retold them. It was, it was an oral culture. And so they remember things. You know, you're taught in school, you don't have to remember so many things, because now in the information age, there's so many things to remember. What you're taught is how to find them. But this, in this culture, they were actually taught to remember things the way they were and to pass those things down. They preserved the importance, uh, important events and facts, and that was given to others. And so there were many people um, that Luke had to interview and ask. Um, Luke talked to women, as I mentioned. Um, Mary herself, um, in, in Luke chapter 2, probably what you have recorded in, in Mary's song, the Magnificat, probably came from the very mouth of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Mary Magdalene, and um, many of those that followed Jesus. He also spoke to both Jewish individuals and Greek or Roman individuals, and he recorded what they said. So Luke writes down in careful detail. So it is a unique gospel in this way, unique detail about God coming into our story. But perhaps most importantly, and where we ought to dwell this morning for a few minutes, is why did he write the gospel that he wrote? Why did he write it? Luke gives us a purpose statement in verse 4. Now, this is typical because you think the, the books back in that day were not books like we had. You couldn't turn to the back. They were scrolls. And so you unrolled the scroll, and it's who wrote it and why. You put that at the very beginning. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Why did he write this? To Theophilus. We know very little about Theophilus. He was at least a God-fearer, probably a Christian. So here's the gospel being written to a, a Christian so that what? He could have certainty. So I come back. If you were to tell the story of Jesus, if you were to tell the story of Jesus to another Christian, would you include certainty? Certainty. So that we can believe with certainty. I think that's a wonderful thing to include, especially in our day when we don't know if strawberries are berries or bananas are berries. Bananas are berries. We need certainty. You think about that. That is something our 2020 heart longs for, isn't it? To just be able to walk out this door and know for sure certain things with certainty about life. I'm very excited for you and your family to study a gospel in 2021 
that is about certainty. Do you see how important that is? Not only for your own heart, but to teach the next generation that's growing up amidst this confused age where we don't know certain things, like we can't even identify certain kinds of people, whether they're male or female in our culture. We are uncertain about things like that. We need certainty. We need certainty. We need certainty. We need to know for sure. And, and this is something, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, I think the Gospel of Luke is saying, well, wait a minute, there's the possibility that as a follower, you're walking and living with uncertainty. And I'm not talking about politics and viruses, and I'm talking about Jesus. Jesus, that you may be living with some uncertainty about your belief. Are you living with uncertainty? Paul uses a unique word for certainty. I, I, I want you to, as you leave here, I want you to, as you get in your car, I'm going to give you, I want you to rehearse this. Especially those of you that have children, you can rehearse this um, multiple times as you go through this. See, the word that we, that we have that's in Greek for certainty, um, it means both like certain in truth. It doesn't mean absolute certainty. It doesn't mean absolute certainty. It's a form of psychological certainty. Right? It's a form of trusting in something. You know, we don't have... We're not afforded the privilege of absolute certainty about a lot of things, but that doesn't stop us, right? We, there are lots of things we don't know about or can't comprehend, but we trust the principles that we see operating. Why? Because we experience them. It, it is an attitudinal, it is a relational certainty. That's what this word has to do with. It's attitudinal and relational certainty. We, from the, the, this word certainty, we actually get the name of road material, asphalt. That comes from, it means sturdy, stable. You can step on it. It's secure. It secures your footings. You see where you can talk about this? We are on the road to certainty, right? So especially you fathers, that needs to be like, get in the car. We're on the road to certainty and remind your family about this truth. I, was, um, I stopped by and talked to Wally Conley, who for years, that's what he did. He built roads, and um, he is, was, wasn't feeling well, and, his, and you can pray for Wally and Donna. Um, they are older individuals. Donna has cancer. Um, because Wally's sick, they have to be separated, and, um, and you just pray. Pray that God will continue to bring healing to, to Donna, and she can continue treatment, and you know, during this time. But Wally was a man who made roads. You know, you don't make flimsy, flim-flam roads and get paid for that, right? Especially in Michigan, right? If potholes start to appear the moment the road's finished, you're in trouble. They need to be certain, solid. You need to be able to step on them, drive on them. It, it, you, you need to know that this is this is the road to certainty. That's what Luke is after for believers. 
See, we have a struggle for believers. Does this gospel point unbelievers to Jesus? Yes, absolutely. But that's not as much of Luke's concern. His concern, think about two volumes, what's his biggest concern? That believers have certainty so that they point people to Jesus. That's why he wants believers, Theophilus, to have certainty because God's entered into our story. And now, right now, he's writing a story. It's your life and the word of God in your life. That's the kind of certainty. It's a purpose statement. This word too as well, when you think about this idea of trustworthiness, it has the the idea of safety. Safety. I think this year has been revealing because in sometimes surprising ways to our own self when we reflect on our lives, it's peeled away layers and we can see clearly what we trust in and what we truly think makes us safe. And what it's revealed are the idols of our heart. What we really think Now, I I want you to take that to heart. Don't don't assume that I'm saying something that I'm not. What I am saying is for you to allow the word of God to work in your heart and for the spirit of God to tell you where you believe your safety is based on not what you think in your head, but how you have behaved in 2020. You see, Luke is saying this way of certainty is the only way safe way. You see, there's, there is, in, in the ordered universe that God has created, there is a certain flow. There's a certain flow. Everything flows out of worship. Everything flows. I, I'm not giving my opinion here. I'm stating what the Bible says. So everything flows out of worship. So let me just list two things. What flows out of worship out of worship, worship is to influence the culture, right? In the culture, this is in, in, in our linguistics, there's certain things that are assumed is when we talk about the worship of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah promised here in Luke, the assumption when we use the culture is that the culture is not worshiping the Lord Jesus, In fact, we worship because the culture does not. But worship in our lives as Christians is to have a downward flow towards culture. But yet culture has really affected worship some ways more so than worship has affected the culture. And so worship affects the culture and and worship affects through culture politics. Politics, and some of us have put security and safety in politics. But politics can change very little. It's, is it important? Yes, but there's a certain flow. Um, Luke addresses some of those things. So as you study, you're going to see this kind of, of flow through the scriptures. That what you worship, how you worship God, affects absolutely every category that comes underneath that. And... Luke wants us to have certainty. Why? Because for some Christians, that top category is not the worship of God. 
And they wonder, some Christians wonder, why they have gotten down the road in the place that they are, and they're on a cul-de-sac, or they're lost, and they're like, how did I get here? It's because you weren't on the path to certainty in the first place. There's actually an idol. It's something other than Jesus that's first and foremost. So this, this, this purpose statement is key. It's, it's critical to why he is writing. He's writing so that we might know, as the, the writer of the Gospel of John said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, and though they die, right, they're going to rise again. There's a hope, there's a promise. Um, there's a key verse, if you, you take your Bibles and you turn over to Luke chapter 19, in verse 10, I have this one highlighted and underlined. That's why I ask you if you turn there. It's one that you should highlight. Luke 19.10. Some of your children have memory. You've memorized this, this verse. It's short. It is a key theme in the book of Luke. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, Luke 19.10 is addressing the lost lost, right? the ones without Jesus. But in the context of the whole book, Luke is writing to those that may have Jesus intellectually, but they are lost as well because they don't have certainty. They don't have that ultimate trust in their daily life. And so as you study, we're going to continue the introduction next week, but as you study, there's a few things that I want you to think about this morning as we close this out. And there are some of you that are here, you're listening online, maybe you clicked on YouTube and, and uh, you were like, oh, look at the green and red Christmas trees, maybe this will be a good message, and you don't know Christ. You'd, you'd say, I don't know Christ I'm not a Christian. I'm not living that way. Luke wants you to have certainty about how the world, about how life operates. He wants you to know that you are lost, but there's one who entered your story so that you could have certainty about who you are, about why you are here, about the immediate circumstances in your life that you can know and trust the one who has forgiven you of your sins. Here's the risk. The risk of those who are, who are lost in their sins is that the wrath of God is upon you. There is a punishment, a payment for sin. You know, even our culture believes in justice, and there is a God who believes in, who is, and, and knows, and lives out ultimate justice. No one will escape his judgment. Unless, and this is the story of Luke, unless they trust in the one who said, I will take your pain, your shame, your sin on me, and was powerful enough to forgive everyone of their sins. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. And so we would encourage you to continue to investigate, even trust in Jesus.
You have to know certain things about who you're trusting. Otherwise, it's just a leap of faith into the blue, and we'd never want you to take that kind of step. We want, that's what the church is about. That's why Luke is writing, so that people like yourselves can walk alongside, uh, alongside those who are lost and declare to them who Jesus is so that they might know. With absolute certainty, no. That's where faith enters in. with enough certainty that they trust and give their lives fully to him. Well, maybe you're here today and um, you have trusted in Jesus. Maybe you're a parent who is a second-generation Christian. And, we're, and, and you know Jesus, but you've never experienced Jesus with absolute certainty. You know, there's back in the Old Testament, there is a story about the Israelites entering into the promised land. And there's very quickly when they enter into that place of promise and that place of rest, in just three generations, they go from honoring God to wickedness. How was that? How did that happen? Well, you see, the first generation of Christians that entered into the promised land, they knew Jesus and experienced Jesus. This is what Paul, this is what Paul, this is what my son talked about last week as he preached and talked about prayer. Because it is your prayer life in which you encounter God. It's talking with God. And, and there was that first generation that entered into the promised land, and they not only knew God, but they had this relationship, this experience with God. I'm not talking about some strange, weird, religious experience. I'm talking about what is normal of walking with God, having that close experience. They knew and experienced God. But the Bible says there was a second generation that knew about God, but what? Never trusted God with certainty so that they experienced him. In other words... They had good values. They did a lot of good things, but they missed the goal. They missed the one goal. And the one goal that God placed them on the earth as, as parents was to raise passionate followers of Jesus. They had information in their own lives, but they didn't have certainty. So they valued certain things and missed the goal. And what happened to that third generation? They neither knew God nor experienced him. And quickly the entire nation devolved into wickedness. So maybe you're here and you were raised in the church and you know all the verses. Maybe you said, Luke, I've been through that. That's what we're going to study the whole semester. I don't know. I don't know. But maybe you have a lot of knowledge about Jesus, but you value other things and you've missed the point because Luke is calling you to walk that road of certainty, to experience who he is. And you know what? He's writing a unique gospel to include all of the details so that you know how to do that. I'm excited for you to study. Why? Because that should do something in your heart, but it also should do something in your family. And it should affect those around you. That's Luke's goal. He wants to see this thing called church and the mission of Jesus 
go into all the world. Maybe you're here and you're certain of your own desires, but not fully certain that you trust Jesus to meet your heart's desire. In other words, you're hedging your bets against heaven. You, you, you have certain desires and you're holding on to those desires and you're saying, you know what, if I really surrender, if I walk this path of certainty, if I go in this direction, God will not meet the desires of my heart. The Bible says that in Jesus, we have everything. In Jesus, our heart's desires are met. That is why God sent him. But we have to trust. You know, the Bible says about our heart is that our hearts wander. That's the nature of sin. We try to get what God has provided in our own way. We try to live with our own control rather than trusting in the certainty of the promise that he has given to us. Oh, that you would surrender, not your desires, but rather may God change your desire so that you trust in him. And he will, it's a promise in scripture, he will meet the desires of your heart. What is it that you desire? Desire Jesus more because in him you have certainty. Trust God to meet the desires of your heart. Trust him and him alone and you will be most happy. And you will be happy not only in this life, but in the life to come because your happiness, your joy, it comes from Jesus. That's the fountain of all satisfaction. And maybe you're here this morning and you look uh, across all of the experiences and adventures that there are to have in life, that this world is a big place and you've been stuck in your home and you can't wait to get out and experience all that, that, that life has and you think, if I give my life to Jesus... I'm going to look like the pastor, and that's boring. That's okay. I don't know what you think life is about when you see all of these adventures and you're connected to seeing all of this, and we have so much information about the world around us, but I can tell you this, that God promises one of the most grandest adventures ever. It's full of risk and beauty and trial. But that starts not with a plane ticket to an exotic location and a social media feed filled with beautiful photos. It starts with a trust in the one who knows the universe and knows you because he created it all. Believe me, he has a plan for your life that is far better than the plan you could ever imagine. And that's why Paul writes to Theophilus. I think Theophilus is saying, you know what? If I wrote my story, it wouldn't be this. Theophilus is probably a supporter of Christianity in some ways. We don't know. We can guess about these things about Theophilus. He maybe on the edge, he may be deeply involved, but Luke is writing to him to say, I, I want you to know for certain that the God of the universe has a place and a plan and a fit. He knows you better than you know yourself. And you could never imagine a life 
grander, greater than the one he has for you. You know, this book starts off with Anna and Zechariah says that they were righteous people, older, without child. And then it goes through, like he records these people that all through the book look like outcasts. And you might feel like that today. What is my life going to amount to? You, know, you might not be an outcast of society, but you might have this longing and this feeling like, I've missed opportunities. I haven't taken advantage of what God's put before me. You might have a sense of loss or guilt, but you know, even as this book of Luke opens up with two young teenagers in an obscure place, he's reminding us that if you trust in him, even if you feel like you're on the out and your little life won't amount to much, and sometimes when we feel like that, we feel like, well, let's just live for today. What, Paul, what Luke is saying through, through this book is he's saying, no, we live with certainty in the Savior every moment. Because when your story lines up with his story, it's the greatest story ever. That can be yours. That's what he promises. Will you trust in that? Will you trust in that? Maybe you're here today and you're dealing with grief and you're dealing with mortality and you're looking at life and there's not much life ahead. Or maybe you're, you're, you have a friendship or a relationship with one that is there. This is a, an incredible story because we can look at the one who has conquered death. Jesus went to the cross not just with obedience, but with certainty. Certainty in the power of resurrection. Certainty in the love of the Father. And we can have certainty too, not just in his death and forgiveness of sins, but in his life and in his resurrection and life eternal. I'm going to pray in a moment, but I would encourage you who are at home and here in the, in the building to just grab your phone. We're going to give you a few moments as John comes and he's going to play and sing to reflect as we prepare here in the room for communion to celebrate with joy the fact that we are forgiven, that even as you hold the elements in your hands, you can know for certain his body was broken, his blood was shed, it was shed for you so that you can be certain, certain of the truths that he reveals in the scripture and certain of your own life in his story as he enters yours. Go to www.northbridge.me or to the church app and click on the response card during this time and, and just respond. We would love to pray for you, help you in your journey. We'd love to sit down and open God's word with you, counsel you. There's a lot of options that are there, but most of all, we want you to reflect on the word of God this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your precious word. In the household of faith and in our homes, there's nothing more valuable. There's nothing greater. And so, Lord, I pray as we introduce this book this week and next week, I pray over our study through the winter in the spring 
in our church. I pray that your, your word is alive, but I pray that it will make our hearts alive with certainty. Lord, I pray that there would be an increase both in joy, in purpose, even to the point of sacrifice, giving up the things that we have trusted in to trust you fully. There's no greater or grander adventure, and you give us this gift, a Christmas Sunday morning, of the certainty of your word. There's nothing else like it in the world. We thank you for blessing us. Help us to receive this gift through trust. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.